Karshni, welcome back to another episode of Sea of Exploration. And today we will be quite literally exploring the sea. Hello guys, I'm Shreya and by exploring the sea today, we meant that we would be diving a bit deep and having a little storytelling session about the legends in Southeast Asia. And to add a different wave to that, we have Joel, our publicity director, to join us with her own stories. So, hi everyone, my name is Joelle. I am the publicity director for KCL ASEAN. I am a lowly third year history student who has no future in front of her, but I am here on this podcast anyway because it looks good on my CV. Today's podcast won't be following the standard format that we have been using in our previous podcasts. Karshni, Joel, and I will be telling famous stories and legends one by one and analyzing the heck out of it with a charm and grace while butchering the pronunciations. So, if you're traveling to uni, about to go off to bed, or you've been missing storytelling sessions with a bonfire and marshmallows somewhere in Asia, stay tuned. Okay, so for the storytelling session today, we just felt that it would be something nice and different for our listeners to hear. And so today, here we are with our own little stories to share. So... I'm from India and when I was looking for stories and legends in Southeast Asia, I found a lot of overlap with the stories that I was born and brought up with. But for some of them, they were like really unique and cool as well. For instance, we have different gods for different things, right? Like they are specialists in their own things. If you want money, you're going to pray to one god. If you want to excel in your university, in academics, it's going to be another god. So they all have they work as a team and some people believe in some gods more than others as well coming back to how one god can be prayed for one certain thing i came across this story which is about the rice goddess um in thailand so okay so this is a little story so this story is about the rice goddess of thailand because um thailand right now is also one of the major exporters of rice throughout the world and I think rice is just important in Asia in general. Like, I personally love rice as well. I think everyone does, and it's a pretty key ingredient. But the whole concept of the god having a goddess related to rice and the prosperity, it has been dating back since a long time. So it's a little story that may, first of all, I'm so sorry for the pronunciation, but she's considered the spirit or soul of rice. And because it's a main stable type of Thailand, thus it is a common belief that without rice, a person cannot sustain or live long. The myth and legend of the rice goddess says she is badly mistreated by an old widow. Hence, she flees and finds shelter with a friend. The friend is a fish that leads the goddess into deep forest where no human being can find a reach her. As a consequence, all human beings begin to suffer from the absence of Hosop and try all that is humanly possible to find her. Finally, the fish advises the goddess to return to the humans because the next Lord Buddha would soon come to the world. Thus, the blessing of the rice goddess is needed since the Buddha is not able to fulfill his duty on earth without the rice goddess. Hence, she comes back to the community of mankind to stay forever. However, before her return, the goddess asks human beings to promise to treat her with respect forever. In return, she promises to bring abundant crops to mankind. Man keeps his word and so does the rice goddess. I mean, it's just like one of the times that you're appreciating the things that you have and you shouldn't take them for granted. It's just appreciate all things. 
And again, when I was looking for the stories, they say that in a lot of cultures as well, um, rice is the first thing that should be cooked in the house. And before I think even eating, it should be served before the goddess. So, yes, it's just being respectful of the things that you have. And I feel that even though, as it mentioned, the friend was a fish, I don't know why do I not have any friends that fishes. I mean, like, when you read the old stories, it's just so magical, mm-hmm. right? And when you see the world now, like, it's not even remotely close to what would happen or could happen. So, yeah, that was the story for the rice goddess. I feel like Shreya's story is like so nice, you know, it has a lot of life lessons. And then the next thing I'll be telling you is a demon and eclipses. <laughs> and there is no moral of the story in this, okay? So I will be sharing a story from Cambodia. And this is basically about the eclipse. So to traditional commerce or people in Cambodia, the eclipse is a time of mixed emotions. And the eclipse of the moon is called Rahu Chapchan. Rahu is the king of all demons and evils. And Chan means moon and Chap means to catch or swallow. So it means that he is the king who wants to catch the moon, basically. And he actually serves as a protector in the temple. So if you go to traditional Kumar houses, you'd see his picture on like the doorway of their houses. And I think it's really interesting because like, if you think about it, what better way to keep other demons out by having the king of the demons on your doorway? But yeah, so Rahu is the king of the demons. And it's interesting that he has no body. He only has a head. And he's trying to swallow the sun or the moon during the eclipse. So the planet... No, it says here the planet. But basically, the reason why it's not completely swallowed is because he has no body to store it in his stomach. And this is where the myth comes from. I was, is it a myth? Like, the story comes from. And it began with the ocean of milk. Why milk? I'm still interested about that. But it says, all, from which all things emerged according to Hindu mythology. Sure, yeah? Is that true? Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so do you know why it's called the ocean of milk? Okay. Because it looks like milk, but not literally probably that like that's my inference like it probably looked like milk because it's white because um if if i can be wrong here but because of the ocean like it just forms up they just call it milk it's not literal milk for sure it's metaphorical milk yeah it's metaphorical milk i just i think it's pretty much the form because like even in like some of the dishes like the drinks that we prepare it's like you you it's just like additional information but like you have a pot with buttermilk basically right so you have the curd the milk or something right then you put a pole in between and then you twist it again and again so the milk it moves and foams up and then you get the drink basically it's kind of a ancient mixer okay i think that's what you're leading to as well Okay, so that's really interesting that, you know, this began with the ocean of milk in um, Hindu mythology. So from it came the water of immortality on the side of the demons. It's called the Asuras. So Vishnu thought that the world would be dangerous if the Asuras were to be immortal. So he transformed himself into an apsara, like a beautiful dancer for the demons to watch without blinking. And... This diversion actually worked. Like, you know, they were like looking at the dancer without blinking. So 
so that's what happened. So this lovely dancer was dancing, but this diversion allowed Vishnu to steal the water and to give it to the devas, the gods. But Rahu, the demon king, he did not watch it without blinking. So he instead disguised himself into a god to get the sip of water of immortality. But the moment Vishnu gave Rahu a drink of the water, the moon and the sun told him, no, that's not a real god, man. (laughs) You know? And out of anger, Vishnu just beheaded him, like, on the spot. So what happened was that his head is immortal, but his body, out of anger, Vishnu beheaded Rahu, whose head did not die because of the magic, um, because he was immortal. His head was immortal. And since then, Rahu wants to take the revenge. So that's why he always tries to trap the moon and the sun, who tried to wa- who warned Vishnu that that was not a real god. So I, th- I think it's a really interesting way to think about this. So today, the length of an eclipse basically tells the traditional commerce whether the harvest will be good. And, you know, people think that if you wish during the eclipse, your wish would be fulfilled. So, like, to be honest, I find it so interesting, like, how this whole, like, you know, theory came about. Like, this whole story came about. And, yeah, basically, guys, don't lie. I mean, sometimes white lies are okay, you know? Sometimes you need to omit the truth a little bit. And I don't think that's, like, a bad thing. Because there's always, like, a case-by-case basis. Sometimes you're sort of, like, you know, I'm not going to tell her that... I'm not going to tell her, like, you know, your room is messy and horrible, you know? Like, it works for them. So it works for them, you know? Okay, yeah, so with that story, because, you know, the demons and the gods were fighting, the significance of the eclipse, basically, I feel that because this is a part of Hindu mythology as well, it's like we do hold the lunar, we have a lunar calendar, basically, and the lunar, like the full moon, but no moon, they hold a lot of value to us as well. And we have like specific names for that. And full moon is supposed to be auspicious, no moon, of course, it it isn't the best because there is no light around. But yeah, it just like it just interconnects everything how important the sun and the moon is and how they were the one who warned the gods like you know this person seems sus right (laughs) this this isn't how it should be and yeah it just it, it all just comes together like that and also because like southeast asia isn't that far from india so again like there's a lot of overlap in the culture and you know the stories and just a bit of variation as well um okay so the next story is actually about i hope i'm really not butchering the pronunciation but i apologize in advance Frau chao swa who was otherwise known as the tiger king which i'm going to use now and he was the ruler of thailand from 1702 to 1709 so this man was really widely known for his passions for sports or in particular for Muay Thai. So I hope you know that sport. If not, we have a post about it. (laughs) The king was such a huge fan of Thailand's national sport, which again is Muay Thai, that he often entered competitions in disguise, where he beat champions without revealing his true identity. Despite later descending into alcoholism and overseeing a national famine, he's more fondly remembered for his ability in the ring. And I thought that was 
Yeah, that was very interesting. And also, you know, this might be a bit sort of really deep and philosophical, but you know, like, how would you be remembered? You know, how do we remember people? Mm-hmm. Like, this king remember people remember him for his ability in sports because that was something he was good at. But he definitely, there were also other really bad things that affected a lot of people. So, how do we remember other people? There are naturally other historical figures who might have done something amazing but you know for example their personal life or the way they chill wasn't good so how are we going to judge that basically and then I'll add to that I really like how he made most of the fact by disguising because like in ancient times there wasn't any media so you don't have the face of that person all over the place right you're not gonna see someone and be like oh yeah I've seen you on newspaper like that because there was none right you can have like a rough layout you know this is what the kings look like but you don't have a specific face to know and recognize so it's just to get advantage of the fact and i just feel that that was really smart move because you're able to enjoy your life to the fullest without your responsibilities of a king interfering with that so but i was also very confused i'm wondering if there are any prizes and how on earth he claimed them it's like i'm the king the money is coming back to me national treasury this got deep really quick <laughs> when i was thinking about what you said about like how would i want to be remembered I was also thinking it's a very interesting choice for them to remember him as a king like that given the fact that he was overseeing a famine you mentioned these serves as reminders that they are also just like us you know these mm-hmm. kings and these stories come from like they're shared because of the people like the king cannot share these himself and that's why he's still being remembered you know so i guess if you say how do I, how do people want to remember it they want to remember it in a nice way and that's the thing, only thing i can say like kings are like us but just richer okay so again hi guys i'm back okay for the next story um this story is about mountain of the sleeping lady so there's a mountain in thailand or more like a mountain range kind of thing if you see it from a distance you'll see it appear as a lady who's just lying down it seems like a lady who's just resting and lying down so according to the legend the mountain of doi nang nan in chiang rai and again the pronunciation i'm extremely sorry but it takes its unusual shape from that of a sleeping lady as just just as i said a beautiful princess was betrothed to a man who ran away leaving her pregnant and alone she waited for him and went out looking for him fearing he was lost after walking for several days she collapsed to the ground and realizing he had left her cried out in despair before dying As a ghost left her body it grew into a large size and eventually became a mountain range that's today called Doi Nang Nan or the mountain of the sleeping lady from this i can see like it, it, did the story come first or the mountain range because you know the time when we look at the sky we can see clouds and you know when we were at, when we were kids i used to do it all the time oh this clouds look like this or this looks like this right because I think this rational thinking comes from none of these things are happening right now times that we live and if i had to in its like you know a poet or you know someone who was just trying to be creative and you know just thought you know oh maybe probably this happened she cried artistically is very beautiful and you know the fact that people believe that story and it passed down is just a very you know great th- the great thing about storytelling you know that it's a story that passes down and even if you know it's not true or not cold scientific proof that it happened it's still a really beautiful thing to believe in you know i think it's the hope that keeps us going and um, the magical thing and 
just the magic i would say it does have moana why it does you like you know the idea that a woman wronged and therefore became this mountain mm-hmm. and i guess i don't like the idea that you know they were wronged badly what i love is this might be me over analyzing it a bit but like the mountain is something yes this powerful thing that can't be dominated at least not easily you know when you want to say powerful you say they can crash mountains and that sort of thing so um, i like that fact that it's these women who become these indomitable things mm-hmm. and i don't know if it represents anything of them but i think it's just really cool to think about i think that's a very 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 positive interpretation and that's how it should be interpreted <laughs> definitely you can see the difference But I think there's always a connection right with stories about women in nature like I think even in Malaysia there is um the story of Putri Gunung Ladang which is the princess of Ladang Mountain Ladang Hill if I am directly translating it but so I think there's a lot of connection between women and nature like that whole mother nature concept I think it's like I've heard a lot of stories with women being associated and connected more with nature than men for some reason. But yeah, it's just another side fact. To a change of tone from talking about how beautiful women are and how they can distract men, become nature. Let's talk about a story of a guy in Malaysia, okay? This is a legend and I'm so sorry that this is we have like better men, okay? Like better stories of strong valiant men like Hantua in Malaysia but i think this is a very interesting story and it's called Sitanggang what does it directly translate to i don't know i don't know if there's a directation actually okay so oh yeah so basically okay. this is a story of like an anak derhaka or like a rebellious disobedient child and this is a son his name is Sitanggang and his parents are called Sitalang and Sideruma and they're a very they're very very poor so this son had always wanted to be rich and famous and one day there was this large ship coming um to their like small town i would say um and the sitanggang this man he went to see the captain of the ship and asked to be part of his crew and the ship's captain agreed because you know sitanggang was like known for being efficient and he could tell that he would be a good addition So his parents were so reluctant to let him on the ship but you know in the end they you know they said okay go ahead do what you want pursue your dreams pursue your dreams but he promised that he would come back to the village after becoming rich i guess this gave a lot of hope to his parents because they were very poor and if he had an opportunity to you know have a better life might as well go so titanggang went to do whatever work the captain ordered him to do the captain really liked him and he was taken like in like an adopted child so when the captain became ill he stepped in to the position of a captain and he was really good at business he was famous and he married the sultan or the king's daughter sultan's daughter and he brought his wife to so many countries sailing the countries and one day he came back home he came back to the, his hometown and i'm not sure whether he forgot that it was his hometown or whether he intentionally came there because the story goes that when he came down 
the villagers were like, oh, I know, I know Tanga. You know, I know Tanga. And he, they came, told his parents, and his parents were so happy because if he came back, it meant he was rich because that's that was his promise. And, you know, his mom brought his favorite food to the boat, eh, to the ship, sorry. Let me not, you know, underestimate how rich he is. He has a ship. So when um, when the crew saw him, they saw the parents, the parents were like, oh, that's my son. You know, let me on the ship. I know him. And then they came to him and he's like, there are people here claiming to be your parents. And Sitangang was like, mm, who, who are these people? And when he looked at them, it was as if like he ig- completely ignored their existence. It's like, they claim to be your parents? Like He's like, no, they're not my parents. He was apparently so embarrassed about the way his parents look because they were poor and they looked like unkept. You know, they, they couldn't afford to ha- take care of themselves. And so... He basically said, they are not my parents, like, please. And the ship was setting sail and his mom and his dad was like trying to go after the ship. And like, he's, I think the story went that his mom was like clinging, clinging to the side of the ship. And like, he basically like, how do I say this? Pushed her off. After like, you know, all of this, sh- all of this was happening around them. Basically, Tang, si Tangang heard his mom say that, like cry out, and he he started like becoming really fearful and afraid, and he starts saying, "Mom, please forgive me. Like I acknowledge you, my mother. You know, please, please forgive me." And he started shouting. You know, he could tell that they were they were going to sink, and it was too late already by then. Like the ship broke, and when the storm subsided, the Si Tangang ship turned into stone. The ship and the crew members turn into stone. That is the story that we always hear about, like, you know, forsaking your parents. Um, yeah, it's a really, really popular story in Malaysia. I mean, there's always that, like, that you know, old his tale where women are never treated well by men. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, you know, not all men. But in these stories, especially, when very traditional hierarchies mm-hmm. that you have to follow, there's definitely that going to be that very clear power imbalance between the genders. I think, like, in Hindu mythology, there's a direct contradiction of the same as well. Because although some of the societies around the world would be more patriarchal, some a proof of that is that we have so many goddesses, and especially for wealth and, like, for studies, right? Those are my two, like, my favorite examples. They're women. And we need to ask them or pray to women. Maybe it's not that represented in the literature now, but I have heard my fair share of stories where it's more of a matriarchal society than patriarchal. Right. Yeah, so I think there I think I'm very sure that there are like stories. I think in Malaysia we have one called like Hang Tua. And I don't think he's like a folklore a legend like a folklore like this Sitangang story. But I'm very sure that there is always this kind of like child that forsakes his parents kind of you know i wouldn't say trend like trope in like several countries and i think like that hints to the fact that we are such a community kind focused nation like we really emphasize these familial bonds so i think it's a good reminder yeah like you said like that's what like collective we should do things for everyone and should never take what our parents gave us you know and we should never forsake them because even though we might not see it they have sacrificed a lot i mean obviously if your parents aren't really nice to you then naturally let them go but i think in many of our cases at least um our family has been really close and they've done whatever they can to support us you know case study here they're sending us to london one of the most expensive cities in the world (laughs) to study university just so we have you know the chance at a brighter future so i think like yeah we should always remember that and when we have you know 
these things that we earn in the future yes they're definitely going to be earned on our own merits but we should also definitely remember that there our parents did play a big part in forming it at least and i also think of any folklore stories <laughs> to continue the theme i think one interesting one which i think a lot of singaporeans would at least know of vaguely was the one about the prince who founded singapore um i'm again i'm hoping i'm not butchering his name here karshni help me sang nila utama yeah, in about 1299, um, Sang Nila Utama um, uh, decided to go... He ended up on a boat somehow. There's, a, there's some stories around it, but I don't actually know how. All I know is that he ended up on a boat and he was traveling around the sea. And he was in the Southeast Asian region, region obviously. And as he was going across um, the sea, he, he suddenly saw an island with a white sandy beach that looks very picturesque. I've never seen this beach in Singapore, but apparently it exists. And so he decided to ask his uh, his chief minister what island it was, and he was told that it was um, Temasek, otherwise known as Singapore. And anyway, while the ship was at sea, there was a great storm that erupted, and the ship was tossed about in huge waves and began to take on water. And to prevent it from sinking, his men just threw everything they could out to try and stop it from sinking. But the water still kept on entering the ship. Eventually, um, Sanila Utama took off his crown and threw it overboard um, as a gift to the sea. And just like that, the storm died down and he reached um, Tamasek safely. And he landed on the beach and decided to hunt wild animals because naturally he's a prince, so he's apparently a hunter. And um, so he kept on looking around and suddenly he saw a strange animal that he never saw before with a red body, black head and white breast, which swiftly disappeared into the jungle. And because he's, he was so astounded by the beast's magnificence, um, he turned to ask his chief minister again what animal it was. And the chief minister told him it was a lion. And... Sanila Otama thought, you know, that's a really good omen. So you know what? We should found a city here and we should rename the island to Singapore, which in Sanskrit means lion city. Of course, he was completely wrong. And because apparently there's no Asiatic lions there, so it's most likely a tiger. Um, so good to know that everything has been a lie. But the lion theme has featured very strongly in Singapore. Just look at our lion. <laughs> Yeah, there's that story. Unlike the other ones, I don't think there's a lot to take away from that <laughs> morally. Except, you know, be a prince. Get your animals right. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, the legacy will stay on. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting that we associate with that. I guess a good way of linking Singapore back to sort of Southeast Asian region history as compared to, you know, whenever Sir... God, I can't remember his name. Thomas Stanford Raffles? Staff Stanford Thomas Raffles? Uh-huh. So, uh, ah, there is Sir Thomas Stamford Bingley Raffle. You know, Singapore back to the Southeast Asian history gen region in general remind ourselves that, you know, we were part of something else before the British, led by Sir Thomas Stamford Bingley Raffles, otherwise known as Stamford Raffles, um, coming in and creating what we now know as modern Singapore and the Straits Settlement. Yeah, I thought that was just really cool, even if it does end up being just a folklore, you know? True. I think there's a trend in naming countries or states at least. Like, you, like listening to that reminds me of like this prince Kate was like lying down, not like not like sitting under a tree. He saw a very weird, like a mouse deer, and like I don't know, he saw something weird. Like this whole scene, and then he's like, "Yeah, that's cool. Let me name this state Malacca. You know why? I'm sitting under a Malacca tree." Is there a trend in this? I mean, could totally be a trend, you know? Sometimes when you pop the things that happen suddenly. Uh, or like when you name streets and stuff after people. 
naming things and then naming people okay this reminds me okay so basically my name is supposed to be a sixth or seventh name um of goddess of wealth that's why she's my favorite but i'm still broke i don't know why but yeah i don't know like did my parents name me with the hope that they'll get money or oh, <laughs> oh that's true you like the the i don't want to say money mate because that sounds bad what i what mean like it? not harsh name claudia do you yeah. know why my mom named me claudia right. she read the name no she's all model do you see what has happened to your daughter <laughs> oh that's like my parents my parents my mom made up a list of names i think my dad just chose it because so that each all our family members mom my dad me other j-o Oh, that's so cute. That so John cute. just gone. It's not religious at all. So like, I have an older brother, so his name means just red. Red? The color red. Okay. And that's it. I'm just asking out of curiosity. It has no deep meaning whatsoever. Just like, it means color red. And it sounds good. I so. think that's okay. Like, sometimes you just pick names that either sound good or sound pretty because that's going to be the name known by and i mean this with sort of good intentions so you don't have to look too deep into it sometimes it's just the child to have a name which they think is really nice and i think that's something beautiful when we discuss these myths and folklores and legends one thing that i miss the most is the magic that we don't know everything now is just so rational i had a story where people had to cross the ocean and they wrote the name of the most important person i'm just like skipping everything here and like when they threw the stones in water they could float and they could use them as skipping stones and then like cross the ocean that's so normal for them right but if something happens now it's it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be like a breakthrough in science or something or like science can't even explain it honestly but yes like whenever you have these little story times it just it's just nice and it's almost like revisiting your childhood when you thought everything is magical. I think, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of beauty in it. You know, you don't have to explain everything. Sometimes things just happen and, you know, and it's just really nice. It's sort of like, I can't believe I'm going back to this again because this goes against <laughs> the idea of beauty. But like Disney stories, that's why Disney stories resonate so deeply. Like look at the recent Disney's, they're so beautiful. They respect the sort of different cultures. And yeah, that's a huge amount of commercialization. Let's not talk about that though. <laughs> but you know, it's it's so beautiful to just have it and you know, explain the way it's magic. And, and I think that you shouldn't just restrict these sort of things to children's stories. I think that they should be available. Anyone who wants to hear them, who needs to hear them. So, yeah, I think it's really nice to, like, remember these stories that you've heard when you were younger and even hear about stories from other places. So, we hope that this has not only been enlightening to us, but also to everyone who listens to the folklores, legends, and stories that we've shared. And if you are still interested, please like and subscribe to... Like to what? Oh, no, please. Do we like the podcast? No, right? Um... You like the post. Okay. Share and subscribe. So if you really enjoy our podcast and follow our Instagram page at Kanal ASEAN Society, we hope that you would continue to look forward to our upcoming podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you in the next podcast. Bye-bye. And if you have any stories you want to share with us, we also have a blog. There's always that. <laughs> Enough from me. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.